gentlemen and ladies, brothers and sisters, people, whoever you are and wherever you are, welcome to the Truth Prescription Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sekou Gavis, and each week I interview successful people from around the world and discuss how accepting the truth can propel your career and help you live a life of gusto and purpose. No mantras, no gimmicks, just the truth. So close your eyes and open your ears, and let's get into this. Come on. Yes, 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 we are back once again. Truth Prescription. Today I have the pleasure of talking to a special guest, Pony Gale. How you doing, Pony? Good. How are you? I'm doing excellent. Pony is the writer, director, producer of uh, Outrageous, which is an Amazon docuseries that tells real stories of people in the LBGTQ community. Um, she kind of got her start uh, interviewing her local rock bands in L.A., <laughs> Um, eventually decided she wanted to work for HBO and um, got an opportunity to work on uh, the pre-production, the production side of The Sopranos and Sex in the City. And now she's working on a supernatural thriller called Pendulum, in addition to the outrageous show and another documentary um, where she's going to focus on a retired UCLA professor who's a Holocaust survivor, which is amazing because I'm sure there's not a lot of them uh, around. Pony Gale. Hi, how are you? Good. I'm actually playing music for you. You can't hear, but uh, Genuine Pony is playing. I love it. Oh, my God. That's like my theme song. (laughs) That's right. That's right. That's right. So uh, welcome to the show. How's it going out there? Are you in L.A. right now? I'm in California. I'm in Santa Monica, California. Santa Monica. Yeah, and I'm actually from New York. I was born in Manhattan. Beautiful. Beautiful. Love it. I love it. New Yorkers. Yeah. So you're you're a transplant. How do you like it? I mean, you've been out there for some time now. How do you like it out there versus New York? Well, you know, I love it. I just got spoiled by the weather here, but yeah. um, I also love New York. It's you know, I yeah. growing up, I used to say I was bi coastal because most <laughs> of my family's in like upstate New York, Connecticut, okay. and so it's really the best of both worlds. But now I'm just you know, I love visiting New York and living in LA. Okay, okay. All for right. now. For now, so, we don't know what's going to happen in the future. We don't know. Tomorrow's not yeah. promised, as they say. Tomorrow's not promised. One day well, at a time. Yeah, one day at a time, one second at a time. Right. So, <laughs> right. So, exactly. So, um, you and, know, and they left one project out, but I'll fill okay. you in on that later. Okay. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll get into it. Absolutely. Uh, but Pony has had a, an interesting, uh, an interesting, very colorful life, and as do all my guests. So I'm really happy and excited to to hear about it and talk to her today. Um, we're gonna jump right in to the truth prescription. As 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 my listeners know, but for anyone that hasn't heard the show before, the truth prescription really focuses on. Um, the truth and the fact that most successful people, no matter their industry, have had to deal with certain truths. And usually it was accepting those truths that allowed them to actually break through and become successful. So, Pony, talk to my listeners. Uh, bring us into your world. Um, we usually do a, a personal and a professional, uh, but you can pick either one or combine them and uh, talk about just... Uh, maybe let's let's do professional first. Maybe something in your professional life, uh, a truth that you realized um, that you sort of had to, to wrestle with in order to to break through. Okay, that's a good one. Um, I've had so many, to be honest. I can't 
think of just one, but uh, chronologically, there's quite a few that stand stand out. But I can go back chronologically to one of the first ones was I I realized early on that the creative industry was for me. Both my parents, my dad was a music producer and lyricist. That's how I got my name Pony. It was <laughs> one of my stage names and my real name, Pony Marie Gale. Wow. Um, and Pony. Cheryl, who I was named after, um, was in a group called the Cheryl Sisters, and she later went on to produce a lot of old Tony Curtis movies. Um, my dad was a lot older than my mom. How much older? About 30 years. Wow. Yeah. Um, they got married. They met in New York City, actually. My mom was singing at a nightclub. Right. Uh, she's a creative, too. And um, Yeah, they met in an elevator, right? They met in an elevator, <laughs> and he asked her out, and three weeks later, they eloped. You already know that. that. that wow. Must have been, that must have been a great elevator pitch. <laughs> yeah, <it> was, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. So, I mean, that in itself was kind of crazy, but, I mean, yeah. they had a happy marriage yeah. up until, you know, my dad had a heart attack and yeah. suddenly passed away. But, um, yeah, so I guess you just never know. I just think sometimes you know when it, you know. Um, Did you think before that uh, that you may have gone into something non-creative? Here's what happened. Uh, growing up, my mom later had a show on what used to be Fox News out here, Channel 11, a public affairs show she hosted and produced. And as a teenager, I always thought I would get into the music end. Got it. Um, I played guitar and I sang and wrote music. But also growing up, um, starting at 12, I grew up making movies with my friends in the neighborhood, you know, one of my friends had a Super 8 camera wow. and I was the bionic woman. Another friend was the bionic man. And wow. we would spend our days like my mom was always worried I was getting into trouble. We'd spend our day. Yeah. Doing <laughs> slow-mo, figuring wow. out how to make locks look like they broke and making these Super wow. 8 movies. Wow, awesome. So that I really started early on. And to be honest, I've played guitar since I was four, but I'm still not that good. <laughs> and, you know, I really can't keep it tuned. So it just by default, you know, went into uh, a filmmaker and that evolved. But really as a teenager, I thought, wow, how, you know, my mom had polio got when she was seven. She got polio before they, you know, had the vaccine. Yeah. And she was paralyzed from the neck down and then slowly movement came back, but her legs never fully came back. So mm. she grew up on walking on crutches and when she had me, she went to a wheelchair because it was just easier to get around. Sure. And honestly, like as a teenager, I thought having she had been so successful, e even with a you know physical disability, I thought, how can I ever live up to that or yeah. my dad? So I kind of thought I'd go into something else. And I didn't want to get into the industry because my parents had. Got it. Yeah. And, it, and what happened for me, I guess my truth moment of truth was I realized um, that it was in my blood. And yeah. Yeah. even though I tried not to do it, I couldn't not. Mm. Um, yeah. Following that passion, yeah. Yeah, and that really happened after I got sober. I got sober um, when I was in my 20s. And in sobriety is when I, I learned I had to live my truth. Mm-hmm. And okay. that's when I discovered my real truth was my creativity. And that was my passion. Yeah. And I couldn't live an authentic life without it. And that's when I kind of went on my, my journey. 
Um, and really, my mom tricked me into doing an internship at Century Cable, which is now Spectrum. It's changed a million times. Sure. It was Century Cable, Adelphia, Time Warner, Warner yeah. now Spectrum. And they used to have live shows on Saturdays um, where they would just, you know, film different people playing, you know, had different shows live. So I did an internship there working on the live shows. And they taught me camera work, editing. And in yeah. turn, I had to, you know, give them at least six months to a year, you know, of sure. my services free. Right. And it's so fun. And that's when I started my music show like a year later. Um, yeah reality view where i did would go out and shoot a lot of local la bands mm -hmm. and then interview people and that was back when you had tons of equipment and we'd have to go in a van and carry yeah. all the stuff and then have people live and and do acoustic sets and i love that and i just grew from that i realized you know i thought i wanted to produce and when i went i went to ucla and my major was communications i thought i wanted to do pr it, that was, it wasn't creative enough. Um, I went back and I took directing, producing, and I took screenwriting, one, two, and three. So cool. And just started, I started doing my own thing and then freelancing because I talked to people in the industry. How did you get in? So I freelanced on a lot of shows. I worked for George Slaughter Productions. They used to do, and that was kind of cool because I remember as a kid watching Laugh-In. Mm. And George Slaughter, I got to meet the guy that did laugh in, you know, oh, produce yeah. and awesome. work for his company. And he was actually an amazing guy. And that company ran so smooth, low hours. And then I worked for Moffat Lee Productions, which was were grueling hours, you know, eight in the morning till two in the morning, doing Ooh. like the live comic relief shows with like Whoopi Goldberg and Robin Williams and uh you know, people like that. And those, they were actually amazing. It was amazing to be part of it, but it was really like I paid my dues. It sure. was really grueling hour. Yeah, grind, yeah, you want to um, grind. And then I just one day decided I wanted to work for HBO and everybody was like, how, that's never going to happen. Like, do you know how many people want to work there? People right. sweep the floors, you know, to right. get in. Right. And just by chance, a friend of mine worked there that I met a couple months later, a really, who's still a good friend to this day yeah. and said, Hey, and I, and I told her I wanted to work there. She said, Hey, we're doing a PSA and do you want to work for free, mm -hmm. but you'll get to meet all the big wigs at HBO. Right. And right. I said, sure. So I did it and I met all the, all the big wigs, yeah, all the big wigs. And, um, a couple, few months later I was doing just like they had me work a little bit on a, a show there and here and there. And um, then I got a gig as an assistant at New World Entertainment. And that play, like, they started um, Access Hollywood and shows like that. And sure. that place was my first start as, I'm like, what's an assistant? But somehow I got the job. <laughs> and it was, you know, it was just more in-house. And they made me sign a two-year contract, which... I was leery of because I'm kind of a commitment foe, but I did. Sure. And ironically, if you, we were supposed to merge with King World, which at the time was Oprah Winfrey's company. And Rupert Murdoch's company came in and did a hostile takeover wow. because they wanted our 10 TV stations. So I came into work the next day and we're, there, we're like, okay, we're all going to be laid off. <laughs> and <laughs> wow. so I was home 
kind of like depressed. I just moved into a new place and I was home just kind of like depressed and sad. My phone rang. This was back before cell phones and I picked up and it was my friend that worked at HBO and she goes, what are you doing home? I was going to leave a message and invite you to my birthday party. And so I told her what happened and she said, hey, there's an opening at HBO. This producer um, is looking for you know, an assistant and somebody to like be a liaison between the productions and HBO. Right. And, um, I'm like, Oh, she goes, well, fax me your resume and I'll give it to him. So I did. The fax, guy, me yeah, fax me your resume. Fax me your resume. It was the fax machine days. And the guy oh. called me, had me come in for an interview. And he was like, my wife, Robin worked with you on a show and she loves you. She said to say hi. And I'm really bad with names, which is not good to this damn. And I couldn't remember who she was, but I'm good at faces. And then sure. I saw a picture of her and I was like, oh, tell Robin I said hi. Yeah. I just yeah. kind of went with it. And he said, she said, you're great. And he hired me on the spot. Amazing. And um, that was my start at HBO. And he taught me a lot. Dan Kapla was his name. And uh, he just said, start as far as I've always been an independent filmmaker. And he just, his advice to me was just shoot, go out and shoot stuff. Just yeah. start making stuff. Yeah. And that's what I did. So, you know, and, and I, my stint at HBO lasted on and off for 16 years. And I would go off and do my own projects. And then they'd call me back to work on a project. And I just, it was a wonderful place to start. Because it was like at the start of all their original programming, um, they were at the time, it was like their motto was think out of the box, which mm. I love. Yeah. And it was just a really great time. I love Chris Albrecht, who was the CEO creative. Um, after Chris left, things kind of changed. And did I, you, did you ever get to meet David Simon, the, uh, the wire? You know what? I writer didn't, and producer. I didn't meet David Simon. Well, actually, to be honest, if I did, I don't remember. Okay. But like, <laughs> okay. like I said, I'm bad at names, but that was also shot. Um, you shot in Baltimore. Yes. So like that, yeah. that's the umbrella. We'd have these little umbrella yeah. production companies that would do it. And then we had all the suits at HBO and then I'd kind of be in between the wire. Wasn't actually one of the shows I worked on, Okay, but right. I do remember the wire and seeing it. I remember at yeah. the time I loved it cause it was really cutting edge. I mean, yeah. All their stuff was, and that was another one that was really cutting edge. But sure, so was the Sopranos. So it was the, so Sopranos. the Sopranos, and to be honest, yeah. I'm going to give you some insider information. I remember reading the script of the Sopranos, and the inside at the time was nobody thought it was going to be a hit. We people thought, mm. uh, what? You know, like monster <laughs> that likes ducks and. But right. David Chase, the last thing he did was a Rockford Files reunion. You know, everybody thought it was going to, you know, fall flat. And it ended yeah. up being a huge hit. And that taught yeah. me you just never know. And there was another show, and I won't name it, by a very <laughs> successful writer at the, Ed, that was really hot at the time. And everybody was like, oh, this script is hilarious. This is going to be a hit. Do you know we shot the pilot? It was so bad. It, it never saw the light of day. It was just crashed. Wow. So wow. that between that and the Sopranos, and it was the same timing. That's when I learned. I'm like, you just don't know. You don't know. You don't know. Right. And it's also right. about like kind of going with your passion. And yeah. um, Six Feet Under, I worked on, was a great show. Uh, Sex in the City, the first pilot yeah. we shot, it had to be reshot with a different director, and we got a different showrunner. 
and, you know, and then it, <laughs> it was like, just like. <laughs> now, why, why can you tell me? I mean, I, I know we're going off a little bit, but can you, well, first of all, let me just say, so your truth prescription around that was follow your passion. Follow Don't ignore your passion. passion. Follow it and stick to yes. it. Yes. Now, I'm going to break protocol a little bit. Tell me about this change in the director. Like, why why did the director need to be changed? Why did it need to be reshot? This is all interesting to me as a, as a filmmaker also. Because like, it was really you know. bad. <laughs> oh, <gosh>. <laughs> <laughs> and they thought we were like, the story's there, the acting's there, the sh- you know, it's there. But it yeah. just, sometimes, you know what it is? Sometimes it's just not a good fit. Yeah. You know? Got it. Um, It's... And that's how I feel about it. Just like relationships, yeah. you know, sometimes you're with somebody and you, you just wish it could work, but it doesn't because it's just not a good fit. And then you, yeah. they're with somebody else and you're with somebody else and they're, it's great over there and you're it's great fantastic. here and you're like, oh, yeah. thank God. It's just not a good fit. <laughs> it was like, I think that's what I'm going to say about that because it wasn't that I think it just wasn't a good fit. And yeah. um, it's also interesting about the, the other show that didn't work, didn't work. Because of the style the director tried to do didn't work for a series. You know, I'll say this Mm. director does great with features, but it didn't translate well to series. Got it. Okay. You know? Okay. And sometimes, you know, I found in my own journey of the truth prescription, sometimes that's why I love to collaborate because sometimes what looks good on paper or sounds good on paper, doesn't, you know, you'll start breaking it down and it's like, that doesn't work. You know, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And that's why I'm open to feedback, you know, um, Mm -hmm. as I go, because sometimes I'll hear things from somebody else that works a lot better than what I thought. And, you know, it's Mm. like, and I also learned like, you don't want to hang on to necessarily always the story, the shot, the scene, like, oh, I love that scene. Yeah, but it just doesn't work, you know. Yeah, yeah. Now, how do you how do you deal with? Let's say, and again, I'm I'm going off protocol, but it's okay. If you have a friend who sends you a script and wants you to look at, it and you think it needs a lot of work, like how do you deal with that? Do you tell them? Do you not say anything? You know, how do how do you deal with? It? Or if you're or 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 if you're not even a friend, let's say you're working with a collaborator and you guys are thinking about doing something and you start reading what they what they've started doing and you think it needs a lot of work, how do you handle that? Well, that's a really good question because that comes up for me a lot and it yeah, just recently imagine. did. It comes up all the time and I've learned to, you know, there's a thing that I've learned uh, that, you know, I was taught, I do a lot of inner work and spiritual practices myself. And one of the things I learned, if you're going to say it, say it kind. Mm. So, because mm. um, I know along the way too, I've had to learn how to deal with constructive criticism and my very first um professor screenwriting instructor i who i love taught say what you like first and then give the constructive criticism last because there's usually a little both um and so i try to be honest but with kindness and you know i recently had somebody come to me with a project that I didn't know that was referred through a friend. And I just said, you know, I listened and, you know, I got on board and I was just honest said, I'm really busy and I just don't have the time, mm, but I think yeah. your project's great because I'm not going to okay. kill the, the dream and the idea. Sure. 
they did think and the projects vary in the developmental stage, but the truth was it wasn't something that cap I only work on things now that capture my heart, my passion. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, I feel grateful yeah. and fortunate to do that. That's always been my dream, and I'm able to do that now. Yeah. And it was something that I thought was an amazing idea, but I don't. I didn't have the passion for it. So I like yeah. best of luck. And if I hear of somebody yeah. else, I'll let you know. And I had another yeah. friend who just happened to call me. This project I've been passionate about, a childhood friend, and she wasn't ready to do it. And I got a phone call out of the blue. And I had thought about her a couple of weeks ago, like she needs to get this made. And, and she called me yesterday and said, Hey, you know, do you have time for any more projects? I said, I'm really busy, but what is it? She yeah. goes, and it's the project. Um, <laughs> she goes, I'm, I'm ready to do it. You know, it's about her dad. Wow. And, um, who's an I, iconic figure. Um, okay. And his story really needs to be told. And okay. I said, that's something close to my heart. I'm of course I want to do it. You know? yeah. And that's a whole yeah. process. But so yeah. I found, you know, to just really be honest, like yeah. in a nice way and don't kill somebody's dream because yeah. you never know. Like I know for myself, I had, I'm grateful and fortunate. I had a lot of people that helped me along the way and that mm-hmm. some that didn't. And I had, you know, one of the first projects I wanted to direct Cause I was like, I want to be a producer. And then it was like, it's not creative enough. Okay. I want to direct the first project <laughs> I wanted to direct. And a friend was producing, it was a short film. And we read, you know, this pitch from these two writers. We loved it. They gave us the script. It was a short, it was 60 mm-hmm. pages long. And we're like, that's not a short. We're like, whoa, it's like an <laughs> it's hour. Not a short. Like, that's know, an hour. hour. Yeah. So we cut it's an hour. and said, you need to be a short. And they wanted this music and that music. And I was at HBO and I said, Whoa, we need music licensing. Get some like (laughs) unknown artists that want to, you know, get their music heard. And so they told the producer, we don't want her. We want a different director. And so Mm. first my feelings were hurt. And then I was like, fine. And, and that is what fueled me to go, well, I'm going to go take screenwriting one, you know, one, two, and three. I'm going to go back to school at UCLA and take screenwriting because I want to tell these stories myself. Like who needs the writers? Yeah. And, you know, taking screenwriting, it, I'd always been a writer and always creative, but I didn't know the format. It opened up the floodgates on how to tell that story. And so that really. The the inciting event. Yeah. So sometimes like, I guess where I'm going with that, the truth is the truth factor, like the truth for me, sometimes in my disappointments have, like I've learned to love the journey and the process. Those got me to where I needed to go. So sometimes that project I wanted to do, that job I wanted that I didn't get, helped me go in the right direction to get what I really wanted that maybe I didn't even see. Sometimes I can't see it. You know, I can't see the big picture. Yeah. Something, something you said, um, made me think about this quote from us author Dario Salas. Um, Criticism without love is an aggression. I really love that. Um, I because it's, like it's, that it's, too. Yeah, yes. it's, so, it's, so, it's so true. Um, but you're right. I, I like that. Lead with what you like first, but the most important thing, don't kill the dream. You don't yeah. want to be a dream, a dream killer. Right. <laughs> My wife says her, her mom is sometimes a dream oh, killer. <laughs> oh, I understand. <laughs> right. Oh, you understand. <laughs> No, yeah. my mom's always been very supportive, but you know, yeah. like 
sometimes, you know, you, you know, her delivery yeah. is, you know. Yeah. Like, yeah. Very, very, very cut and dry, very blunt. Yeah. You know, uh, very yeah, realist, quote unquote. Yes. Um, you know, when you work in a creative space, by nature of being creative, you're not dealing in reality because you're creating reality. So. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Um, okay, so your personal truth prescription, I mean, I think you already sort of gave us a great segue, you know, your 24 years sober journey, which is which is amazing. Um, I got sober. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, no, she, you can't see her listeners, but she looks young. She, that, that California weather is doing something great to her out there. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, talk, maybe talk a little bit. I mean, you can... You talk about anything in your personal life, but uh, I always think addiction is an interesting topic because it's so pervasive in our society and it's such a tough thing to overcome. Um, So if you could talk a little bit about it and maybe, you know, give some tips on how you confronted it and dealt with it and eventually um, broke through with it. Sure. Well, um, I got three DUIs when I was younger. The first DUI I got was when I was 19 because I had a fake ID. Mm. And uh, when I was 17, I got bought a fake ID out of the back of a Mademoiselle magazine. I sent away for it and it worked half the time, (laughs) you know, um, things were a lot different back then, but yeah, I was right. You know, my first DUI was 19 and I just said, I'm never driving home on Santa Monica Boulevard again. Like I just, it was about where I was, I don't think it had fully hit me. And I do think. Why were you, why were you drinking to excess? Well, What what was happening to you? I was actually having fun um, when I was 19. I mean, when I, at an early age, 17, and and one of my friends, one of, uh, you know, I grew up in LA, so I grew up with a lot of interesting people. And one of my friends whose father that, I won't get into details, had started this amazing company, um, used to just give us a wad of hundreds and say, go have fun, girls. Little did he know we were going out to, Holly, you know, the Sunset Strip and buying $100 bottles of champagne and, oh. you know, partying it okay. up, getting in wherever <laughs> our, you know, fake IDs and having a good time. And so it was really, to be honest, it was really fun. I was always yeah. a good kid. I was like a bookworm. I was also into sports. I played basketball on the okay. girls' basketball team at Samuel High. Yay. We, <laughs> <laughs> we actually... Um, we were in first place. We did really well. I blew out my knee playing basketball. Uh, and okay. that's really, I think, where my addiction started because I was really depressed when yeah. my knee got blown out. Um, and I was taking Tylenol with codeine for, I mean, I had knee surgery. So, but I thought yeah. if I drank a beer or two, I really liked the way it made me feel. So that's when I think the partying kind of came in because I felt like I'd played basketball since I was peewee basketball since I was a kid and my dream yeah, was to wow. play in the Olympics. Wow. Which I'm five six. It would've never happened. But, <laughs> but you know not necessarily. I mean Dawn Staley wasn't that wasn't that tall. I really loved it. It was my passion. Yeah. That was before anything else. Basketball was my passion. Wow. And um you know, so that was really hard for me because it kinda like I felt like it killed my dream diet, you know, and that's yeah. I think when the partying started. Yeah. And then I found like going to clubs, I it was a different reality. And I actually had a lot of fun and it was fun until it wasn't. And then somewhere mm. 
Um, you know, and there was a lot of cocaine going around in, in the, yeah. at that time. And um, I actually thought that was my problem. And I stopped doing cocaine cold turkey. And then the drinking kicked in. Like, and probably in my 20s, I, you know, I used to like to drink and go race on Mulholland. I was, I like liked fast cars and, you know, I also was discovering my sexuality. I was like called my, you say it's a person, you know, I say like, I liked fast cars and fast women, you know, it was just like, you know, or, or the person, you know, I just was having fun. I was living and just, you know, I was at that age. I thought I was invincible. Yeah. What invincible, you know, everything, you know, everything. And so I thought I could just get away with it all. And after, um, you know, my third DUI, I Oof. didn't have an, you know, I had the first two, I had attorneys, I got out of it. It was more of a hand slap. I had to go to a couple meetings, you know, go through a drug and alcohol program, but it was all doable. And the third one, I had a public defender and, Oof. um, I was looking at a lot more serious like jail time mm. and I kind of ran. I ran from that. I was a fugitive Um, and I for partying and I was just like, at that point it stopped working obviously. And one day a friend of mine I used to party with was sober, called me and um, she was happy and I was miserable. Mm. And it was like, I had that moment of clarity when I realized like I'm going to ruin my life. And I felt like I already had to be honest. Yeah. If I don't stop doing this and I just thought I have no way to go, but up, I can't, you know, I felt like I just, you know, gone to the bottom and she's like, Hey, I guess you know what I don't, hmm? what what was going to ask you, what would your mom saying this whole time when you're going through this process of partying and finding your sexuality and drinking and, you know, living a fast life, fast life, fast cars. My poor mom was like freaking out. She, um, did an intervention Mm. Um, my family did an intervention, but, and you know, the whole thing where the family's there, they keep you, they tell you all the stuff. And then that, right. Like A&E. Like like the show Institute. A&E. Yeah. They called, yeah. do you want help? Like, but I was over 18 then I was like 22 and I said, no, I don't want help. No, mm. I refused it. So they couldn't do anything. Um, uh, my mom sent me to therapists and all kinds of stuff, which they said at the time with the sexuality thing, are you homophobic? Because I would be like, it's the person, you know, mm, I used yeah. to, and I really believed I, I liked both men and women until I got sober and I realized I'm gay. <laughs> <laughs> and it was oh my goodness. I got I, sober and realized I'm gay. <laughs> I was actually out dating this guy really was into, and we were kissing one night and this thought popped in my head and I was like, man, I bet if he had a sister, she'd be hot. And that's wow. when I just knew I'm like, okay, I'm not, I didn't tell him that. Next sure. day, I just said, I think we need to be friends. And uh, he was such a cool guy. We stayed friends. And that's when that was my moment of truth that I really got, okay, I'm, I have a preference. And it's, yeah. you know, and it wasn't fair to anybody else or myself. Like, I, but I got it when I got it. Same with my yeah. sobriety. And so, you know, my mom sent me to a therapist who said, Are you, do you have a problem? with that was like trying to see if I was homophobic. If I, I see. do have a problem, does that bother you? They, and I said, sure. no. 
And so he told my mom, well, she's fine. If, if it was a problem, she'd be homophobic, but she's not. So she didn't like that answer and sent me to somebody else who said the same thing. <laughs> so, um, that's funny. You know, what was funny, my mom came to terms with it. She, at one point, she's like, I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to know. And then when I lived with my first girlfriend before I got sober, my mom called me one day and said, honey, can we have lunch? And I said, yeah, we did. And she said, I want to know about your life. I want to know what's happening. She's like, I read a couple books. Mm. And she goes, I thought I did something wrong. She goes, and I realized it, I didn't yes, do anything yeah. wrong. You're who you are, and I want you to be happy and love who you love. Yeah. And, you know, it was beautiful. And But, you know, it took a couple years for her to get to that point, and I let her have her space and figure it out on her own, you know? Okay, yeah. Um, and now it would, she would think it was weird. I mean, she's tried to set me up before and everything else. Like, you know, <laughs> she's very, she, she actually is always very opening, open to my partners. And, um, if anything, she told me a long time ago, like nobody meets my mom now, unless I'm serious because she told sure. me once she's like, honey, I get attached to these girls too. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. we kind of went through, you know, uh, I'll tell you, well, I'll just be honest. I'm not a rock star when it comes to relationships. <laughs> I really had to learn how to, you know, it's another thing how to just, yeah. you know, it, it's life lessons. And I think, you know, sometimes things work until they don't. And also you learn what works and what doesn't. Yeah, and it's also great, great fodder for writing for for scripts. Yes, you know, as you, the more you experience, the more you can put it to paper, and and you know, and have a real, you know, actual real when you're doing dialogue and you're writing dialogue, like have it be a real dialogue because exactly. it's from your own experience. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. my one script that we're actually working on now, we're that's finished, but we're actually we have some people attached. We have a girl from Fear of the Walking Dead attached, and oh, cool. we're working on my manager's working on financing for us called the contest. And the main okay. character uh, that gets killed is a narcissist, and that's totally based on an ex-girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> so it is <laughs> not that I would ever kill anybody because sure, but you know what I mean. It's the narcissist part was like great for yeah the story, you know, yeah, um, which I never knew really knew a lot about narcissists until I dated one. Like you don't you yeah. know what I mean? I knew, but no, like, yeah, you don't really know. So it's right. All, uh, it's great writing and it's a great, you know, kind of life experience. And I've given up trying to figure that part of life out, the whole yeah. relationship. All I can do is try to be the best person I can be. And instead yeah. of, I can't change anyone. And instead of focusing on what somebody else is doing, like, what am I doing? Cause I found right. like a lot of the things I was complaining about were things that I wasn't doing, you know, like you can't, mm. You can't have one foot in and one foot out and expect somebody else to have both feet in, or you can't sure. expect to like phone it in and have a real relationship. But I um, had an amazing relationship with a girl that was so Zen. She was like close mm. to Buddha. Um, <laughs> and it was an amazing Buddha-esque. Buddha-esque. <laughs> and she unexpectedly died. And that kind of, Wow. Sent me into a, you know, yeah, another depression, another whirlwind, yeah, whirlwind where you're just like, sure. you just don't, yeah, like, hurt like the, that again. Like, because when you yeah. love somebody that deeply, it's it just rips your heart out. 
Yeah, yeah. To your to your point, I mean, you really have to be able to focus in on. It's about the. You said it earlier. It's about the process. I mean, yes. as difficult as that sounds, and as difficult about- as it is to hear. You know, you had a wonderful experience, you know, that you can now uh, synthesize or quintessentialize into, you know, whatever you're doing. Right. Um, But but it's hard. It's just hard because a part of us is selfish. Like, you know, I still I still want that. Yeah. 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 So I for a while I went to the complete opposite because I didn't want to get hurt. And then I found out, well, I'm not a sociopath. So then I'm getting, a you know, emotionally attached anyway to things that aren't a good fit. And so now I'm back to. I mean, we'll see what happens to be continued. Um, but yeah. I've opened my, I've, I'm working on opening my heart again, and I'm dating Open somebody now. Again. I really like one step at a time that Good. I'm being more vulnerable with. Okay. You know, and yeah, just it's, it's all about vulnerability. It, yeah, it, just enjoying the process for today. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Good day by day, no yeah. projections. Just, yeah, which is yeah. like writing, which is like the process for outrageous. You know, I, th- yeah. I was telling you yeah. earlier. Outrageous started out as a reality series. We're going to follow five girls, different sexual orientations. And and that evolved into something else because it was kind of like herding cats and it just wasn't working. Yeah. And then, as I told you, I was watching Vice, an HBO show um, that's a docuseries. And I saw this episode on, on a Middle Eastern company that I was telling you, I think it was Iran, but I'm not okay. positive where it's illegal to be gay. They will kill you if you're gay. Wow. But if you're transgender, they'll pay for your surgery. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, wow. It's ridiculous. Away. And they oh actually goodness. had people on. They had a wow. female that transitioned to a male. They paid for the surgery. And she was. they interviewed her in the shop with her brother. Okay. And her brother said, yeah, I lost a sister, but I gained a brother. And he said, if my sister would have been gay, I would have either had to kill her or had had her killed. But oh, wow. now I have a brother. And wow. I thought, wow, like how many, I also thought, how many people were actually gay that got caught and maybe said, yes, I'm transgender right. sure. to yeah, yeah. not get killed. Right. Right. But through that is when I got the idea to do a docu-series for the LBGTQ community. I'm like, there's so okay. many stories and so many shades of the community I yeah. want to tell as many stories as I can and have different episodes with different guest stars and different stories. And that's when it evolved into what it is today. And that was through the journey. Sure. Know? Right. Um, right. And through that, there were a couple production companies that wanted to do it, do the original idea with drama. Then they liked the idea it evolved into. And it was hurry up and wait. And then the whole Caitlyn Jenner show happened and they won cable company passed because they thought they're like we love the show but we think the market's too saturated another production company said we don't think it's too saturated they wanted to pick it up and it just sat there okay yeah while it was sitting there i went to a panel on web series and i they had five um web series that were very successful and the creators all told their stories and how they did it they all did it in different ways. Some did it with their own money. Some had an angel sponsor. They also, the first season was the hardest, and then some of them got picked up, and they told how they did it, and it was really inspiring. And I said, this is what I want to do, but I'm not sure how. I'm sure. going to do it yet. And I'd worked in new media at HBO. That was my last new media and distribution. And 
part of what I was doing at the time, this was um, when web series was were just starting out, I was looking for stuff on the web for HBO and I was thinking, wow, this is the wild, wild west. Like you can kind of do whatever you want. And a lot of the research I did said do three episodes, don't shoot the whole series, do three, put it out there and see what works and what doesn't. And then okay. you can tweak it if you need to. So I did a lot of research. So I thought, wow, I want to do this the way I want to do it. I'm not sure how I'm going to do the budget yet. We had done a small Indiegogo campaign for the original series. and I saw it. Yeah, you raised like $6,000. Raised like 6000 bucks. Yeah. Like 6, yeah. Got to do a sizzle reel, you know. <laughs> and But through that sizzle reel, one of the people that contributed uh, was a production company, did a small few hundred dollar contribution to the series. And I'd called to say, hey, I'm going to send you your perk, you know, whatever, a T-shirt, and you get like an associate or a, per, you know, executive producer title or whatever it was, or associate producer. And the person at the head of the production company, the CEO, said, hey, well, let's do lunch. You can give me my perks at lunch. Mm. I said, okay. So okay. we did lunch and said, hey, what's going on with the project? And I said, it's evolved. Da, da, da. Oh, really? Do you have any? Yeah, we did the sizzle reel. This is the direction I want to go in. And I showed her the sizzle reel. And she's like, wow. And she goes, uh, I said, I just want to do my own thing. I want to do, you know, web series. I want to do docu-series. I don't want the draw. I just want to do real stories. Da, da. And she goes, oh, well, um, what's your wish list? You know, what's your budget? Hmm. And I said, you know, I don't know. I'd have to think about it. I'd have to do a budget. I don't. She goes, well, why don't you do a budget and give it to me and I'll give it to our accountant and see what he says. I said, okay. So I wow. did a budget per episode for five episodes for 10, gave it to her. She gave it to the accountant. She goes, why don't we do three up? And I told her my whole three episode theory. And she goes, why don't we here? Why don't we do three episodes and see how it goes? So they gave me what I wanted. I shot three episodes. Um, I put it out on YouTube. You know, we created a YouTube channel for Outrageous. Sure. Put it up on the YouTube channel and started things going. We had a Facebook, a Twitter, you know, started the social media, very like grassroots. And a distributor saw it on YouTube and emailed me and said, I love this show. It's done really well. I think, you know, um, and I checked him out. He was real. And he's like, I want to put it on Amazon Prime. Wow. You know, wow. and I was like, wow, okay. And that's how it started. And, wow. um, now what, what is the budget for, for, like, what was your budget back then just per episode, just for the listeners who were maybe producers or, you know, uh, uh, filmmakers, um, for the, original, uh, about, you know, around uh, about estimate, original, estimate. I'll give you a guesstimate for the original guesstimate was around, uh, 5,000 an episode. An episode. Okay. That's not, that's not horrible. Yeah. Okay. And that horrible. was to get it done and pay, we pay everybody like everybody's sure. working on a shoestring budget but that sure. was like to pay everybody and it was also we had to create a, a website and do all this other stuff you know right, there's a right, lot involved. Right. The marketing side yeah. marketing side and um you know i had to make it worth my time to do it and that whole thing and it was it was doable for that originally because originally we thought we could do it for less when we started the Indiegogo campaign and that's when we found out like, oh, 
you know, because you have post production and everything yeah. else. Yeah, really you need adds cinema, up. cinematographer. You know, yeah. you want uh, you know for at least four K. You need you know yeah. to shoot at least four K and you know editing and lighting and yes, you know you need at least a you know one PA if not two a sound person. Yes. I mean, it's a lot. Exactly. Yeah, it's a lot. It, it all, all yeah up. yeah it all um, ends up yeah. <laughs> and so that's when we learn like whoa okay we were a little you know and somebody had told me well that's you know. Ambitious. <laughs> it's a little lean, a little lean. And it was, so that's like the journey you kind of learn along the way as you go. And then um, yeah. they loved, and they loved the three episodes we put out. They gave us financing to do the first series of Outrageous. They gave us financing. We're now in season two of Outrageous. Yeah. Um, and we also, I can't name names, but we have a major sure. cable company interested in doing the show also as a longer. Okay. Uh, you know, half hour to hour episode kind of thing. And, you know, that's like hurry up and wait. So we're, they sure. to us and um, right. we'll see what happens. And so, you know, that was kind of like my journey with it. Can you, can you talk a little bit about the process of producing outrageous in terms of dealing with Amazon from an economic standpoint? Like, you know, how are you paid? Cause I had a friend um, who's an act, he's an actor, but he's done a couple of shows on Netflix and he was kind of complaining to me like, you know, well, I, I never get paid. <laughs> he's like, I don't get paid for those streaming services. You know, I get paid for my, my day work, but in, but Netflix, I think has something where they don't pay royalties to actors. Maybe the well, producers get paid. Well, so just in terms of how you, how you've monetized it, if you know, as much as you can talk about um, once it goes to a streaming service like Amazon. Okay. Well, there's different ways and you can get paid through ads and subscriptions and other things like that, and you get a percentage. Okay. And um, and you get okay. a cut. You get a split with Amazon. Get, and Amazon, Amazon actually, I think, is a pretty good deal compared to a lot of the ones that are out there. I don't know about Netflix and those. I haven't yeah. done anything with them yet. Um, <laughs> but hint, hint, no, hint, I'm right? <laughs> no, actually, you know, I have a meeting with them on for something okay. else. Okay. Um, and I think there's so many great opportunities out there. What my entertainment attorney has told me, he goes over, um, and it's actually the entertainment through my umbrella company. Well, I have my own production company, PMG Productions, PMG. and I do I produce outrageous along with Throw Ride Productions, and there are financers. Um, and God, they're, they're the they're the person that you originally met that gave you a couple yes. hundred dollars to Indiegogo. Okay. Yes, and their enter so their entertainment attorney goes through everything, and we've had a lot of streaming services want us on also, but uh, we were on Roku. We're no longer on. Like once our year contract came, we severed it because what this entertainment attorney told me, I mean, when you're starting out, any opportunities is good. You want sure, to get your stuff absolutely. out. Absolutely. Well, yeah. once you get established, we're lucky enough to get on Amazon, and I'm grateful for that. We don't, you don't, you want to stay lean. You don't want other attachments because um, we have a non-exclusive with Amazon that we can sever if we need to. And because if this other cable company wants to pick us up and do a bigger show, because right now we do short form, our episodes are anywhere from six to fifteen minutes, which is great. They're easier to shoot. Easy to produce. And they love it because people can watch it on their cell phones and, you know, it's it's actually a cool format. But if we do a longer form and it's a bigger show, you want to be lean so you can go in that direction. Okay. Um, and you don't want too many attachments. We'd had smaller streaming companies try to pick us up, which I loved. 
and I wanted to do, but it was the our the bigger company, the entertainment attorney and CEO of Thrill Ride that said, no, this is not in your best interest. And okay. some of those contracts you really do need looked at if you can, or look at it yourself or get your friend that's starting out as an attorney to check out because a lot of times it's all in their favor, and not in yours. And actually, Amazon has a pretty good contract. And that's what the attorney said anyway. Compar- okay. Yeah. Comparative to some of the other ones. Yes. Yes. Okay. okay. Um, but like he also told me, Pony, if you weren't already on and, and you needed to get out there, I'd say go for it on some of these other ones. So in other words, sometimes if it is about getting your stuff out there, just make sure you just do a year. You know, yeah. don't sell your soul. Do like what I did to with the Roku contract it was one year. So after that, okay. it was easy to get out of. Sure, you know? sure. Okay. Um, truth, truth, prescription. Listeners, listen, listen to the truth from Pony Gales telling you. You know, make sure your op- you keep your options open. That's yep. that's the that's the uh, that's the bottom line. Okay, excellent, excellent. And All right, we're going out there. Yeah, but well, one one you know one of the things I, I like that you said in this interview, and I also heard you say in another interview was like you know especially for aspiring filmmakers, you just got to shoot, go out and shoot, mm-hmm. make films, go out and shoot, make films, get better, and and put your stuff out there. And I yeah. think that's the you know that's the that's the answer. <laughs> and you, you know that's the ultimate answer. Real quick, another inspiration that told me that was Carolyn Strauss, who used to work at HBO. She's the executive producer on Game of Thrones. Wow. And I used to. HBO was always very supportive. I used to showcase all my short films and things there. And Carolyn told me 20 years ago, she said, Pony, you're really good. Keep doing what you do Mm, and yourself out there. And coming from her, it was very inspirational because she's a woman of few words. (laughs) And she doesn't Uh, tell you she likes something if she doesn't. Got it. So, you know, and her advice too was to like, you know, keep going. And so, yeah. It's true. Just put it out. And also, you know what? Um, when s- people don't like things or tell you it's wrong, go with your gut instinct. Because with Outrageous, I actually had, and I'm going to throw her into the buzz for a minute. I love her. My social media PR person told yeah. me on my last um, episode three that's not out yet, I had this woman on who's amazing that um, started a organization, a nonprofit in Kenya that helps young girls that are uh, victims of human trafficking. Hmm. And she was, uh, she um, calls herself a queer woman of color and she was a victim of sexual violence herself when she was younger. And Hmm. she does a one woman show on this and this spoke to her heart. And you know, that's her passion now. She lives in Kenya. She comes out here to do the show. We did a show on her. That'll be episode three of season two. amazing heartwarming story and my social media PR person said Pony we had a meeting she goes you gotta do people that have more social media presence she Mm. goes I know she goes I looked at this woman's Facebook page she has 106 followers and she goes come on like I know you want to do these things and I said you know what I've done people that have that social media presence I said no I watched the video you know she had on these girls I said I'm sorry but I have to do the story I'm doing it this is why yeah. I'm doing the show. And yeah. this cable company that's interested, I told that to, they said, that's why we want you. Mm. So follow right. your truth. Yeah. Okay. You know? Follow your truth on the truth prescription. <laughs> All right. Yes or BS. Okay. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a statement and you're going to say yes or BS. 
And if you want to expound or explain your answer, you can. If you don't, we'll move on. Okay. Ready? Mm -hmm. I'm ready. Number one. The producer has it much easier than the director. Ooh. Ooh, that's a tough one. Because it really depends. <laughs> and sometimes you're both. So I'm going to say BS. <laughs> <laughs> is, it, is it because... Uh, well, I know the executive producer, anyway, is putting his money. Right. You know, he's putting his money into the project. That the uh, the director is a essentially a, an employee. Mm -hmm. So he's got. I mean, I guess he's got less tangible things to lose if the project doesn't uh, doesn't go well. Well, it depends because uh, you can lose your reputation. Yeah. You know, um, I know for me, like I've years ago, I had an executive producer that did a lot of, funded a lot of my projects because she said she knew I'd get them done. Hmm. You know? Wow. Okay. So, okay. you know, you've, you've got your reputation on the line. That says something. Yeah. You know? Right. And I like to work with people that give me creative control. Um, you know, I was a partner in a pr production company before I started my own company where they were giving me creative control supposedly and then <laughs> that actually wasn't the case yeah and um you know and that you, you have to learn to deal with that too because you don't always get your way you have to learn to negotiate it's a collaboration but i think when you're given that and you're not getting it it wasn't going to be the projects i wanted to do and would want my name on and that's when i got out i mean it was yeah. not that easy it was a long process i was with them for almost two years but and it took eight months and I finally had to say, you know, I'm sorry. Like I appreciated what that did for me because it got me where I am now. Sure. But we were just going in different directions creatively yeah. and it wasn't yeah. working. Um, so I didn't want, you know, my name behind that. So I think as a director, like that's where if you're creative, it, it depends. But like, you know, that's your name you're putting out there. That's your work. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Number two. Addictions are based in fear. BS. Mm. Okay. Yeah. I think they're in our DNA. You know, I think if you're an alcoholic addict, I think you're just prone to that. Like you're, you're just born with that shit. Mm. You know, that's okay. my take on it. I don't think okay. anybody makes it or... I don't think anybody can make you an addict or fix you. That's an inner thing. And it's just really a daily reprieve. Do you think people um, use addictions to hide from things or to avoid things? Of course. Yeah. That That's kind of what I meant. When oh, I said, okay. I, I based in fear. Oh, ba yeah. okay. Sure. Yeah. No, that, okay. I hear where you're coming from with that. And that I do agree with. Um, yeah. It's almost a crutch. It's a crutch, a crutch to, yeah. you know, ignore some emotion or some feeling or situation. True. Okay. That's true. And be, and being, you know, someone who's dealt with that, I said. Oh, yeah, that's true. And thought. it can come out and I have to be careful of that every day, even though I don't drink or use drugs. You can do it with people, spending, yeah. food, you know. Yeah, food, yeah. 
it's more about like for me being like meditating, being balanced and keeping an eye like, and, and sometimes I'll say, okay, my innermost, okay, what's really going on? Like, yeah. you know, and it, you're right. It's usually fear, fear based. Yeah. All of that. Yeah. Trying like, to avoid something. Avoid it. Yeah. 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 Okay. I, I um, I interviewed uh, Chris Plowman, who's the CEO of Insight Timer, uh, a couple days ago. So check that. Check Insight Timer out. It's a really cool meditation app. Ooh, I'm gonna write that down. Yeah, that he uh, he's developed, and uh, it's a, a truly free app because a lot of them oh, cool. are are free, and then you know you start using it, then they start hitting you with credit for a credit Ooh, card. I have a question. So, How does he do sure. a free app like that? And it is and. Does, can he make money off it? How does that work? He, for the last two years, he's not made money. And they're now just starting to figure out a way to monetize it. But the 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 it won't come. It's You still won't pay a, a service to use it. Basically, he has like, oh, I think he said over 4,000 meditation teachers on there. And so if you want to connect with a particular teacher, you would pay the teacher directly and then they would get some cut of that that's what kind of what they're working on oh okay got but it. but in terms of every, all the content or all, all the everything that's on there it's a really it's a really cool app check it out i'll check it out thanks yeah yeah you're welcome uh number three mm-hmm. pony prefers working with super talented people that are difficult to deal with versus average talented people that are easy to work with hmm I prefer to work with super talented people that are easy to work with. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my stomach is hurting. That is too funny. That doesn't exist. Well, maybe it does. Um, But that wasn't one of the choices. Okay, well, actually... um, That's an interesting question because I've found like through my own process, I prefer to work with people that are easy to work with. I found difficult people. um, It's just usually not a good mix. It's tough because I find that super talented people are usually really, really quirky and sometimes weird and difficult to work with and have to. I mean, I've heard stories about um, this, you know, have a little insight. I know I have a few friends that are actors and like some of these top notch actors that like, you know, will scream at people during a set and, you know, insult people. And it's like, that's tough. Is that really necessary? But, you know, they're making the the, the, the big dollars because of their name. So they, they feel like that, you know, they can get away with it. But it's interesting. Yeah. 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 It's, you know, I hate, trust me. I've obviously had to work with a lot of difficult people and I've also yeah. been really blessed and lucky to work with a lot of really cool people. And, cool. and sometimes people can be difficult, but you can work through it. Mm-hmm. That I don't, I don't mind working with difficult people where you can, where it's real and you can work through it. What I don't like, and I have had this happen, is working with difficult people that are just cause way more drama than you need to and stress. Sure. And doing that, having done that, I try to go with the opposite. You know, I guess yeah. it depends on the situation where, um, I think with the docu-series, it's allowed me to now do more of what I want to do. And I have, sure. I won't name names, but last season had one guest on that it was super, that 
became difficult later. And that that's part of the territory. You're going to go, you know, go along with that. But overall, I've been really lucky to just have really amazing people. And I kind of go with my gut instinct on that. Mm. Um, I do with, you know, like, um, you know, with my feature, I think it's more like with the contest, you know, I get notes and everybody has an opinion. Uh, I get notes, from, <laughs> you know, the whatever, like somebody's, you know, grandmother or something. But um, just for, for the non-filmmakers listening, tell them what notes are. Well, they'll read your script and they'll say, you know, I loved it, but, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. like, can you do this? Or, you know, right. or an actress will be like, yeah, I want to do this part. And um, because I have what? A, yeah, but, you know, um, what's motivating or like, why is the, you know, what what is likable about the the main character that gets killed off. Well, obviously she's not too likable or, right. you know, right. like that's why she <laughs> right. gets killed She's not off. supposed to be likable, right. Right, you know. So you kind of take it in stride. And sometimes I'll get notes where I'm like, you know what, that's a good idea. And yeah. kind of take what you like and leave the rest. Got it. Okay. The wheat, separate the wheat from the shaft. Okay. Yeah. Number four, feature length films are more fun to produce than shorts. False. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> a lot more work. <laughs> All right. Number 5. Outrageous is successful because it is a reality TV program actually grounded in truth. True. That's true. Yeah. Cuz you know a lot of these I I really a lot of these reality shows are I I think there's some of them are scripted or at oh, least yeah. have storylines. I I stint <laughs> at a reality company, Zodiac USA, mm -hmm. and yeah. um, they used to do like the wife swaps and stuff. Oh, um, uh, okay. A lot, most of the stuff is scripted, like ninety oh, percent. Yeah. <laughs> 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 at least yeah. like loosely outlined. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Mm -hmm. No, I can. A friend of mine, uh, he was my first guest. His name is um, Anthony Watkins. He's a transplant surgeon. But he was on a reality wow. show for for NBC called um, New York Med, and uh, oh, he I was at. Remember that? You, you remember New York Med? Yeah. yeah. He was he was on both seasons, and he's the one that really hit me to the fact that yeah, he's like we would go in and they would say, oh, can you say this again, or can you do this, or you know, and it was all really wasn't. Quote, it wasn't really quote unquote reality. You're dealing with the realest thing in the world, which is, you know, medicine in a hospital, right. dealing with people's lives. So it's, it's interesting. Yeah. All right. Number six. The answer, or I'll say one answer for homophobia is love. Yes. True. Okay. Love that. Number seven. The last one. You'll love this one. Women work better in a collective than men. Oh, dun, wow. Dun, That's a dun, tough one. Dun, I'm going to say false. It's because okay. it depends on the women and it depends on the men. Because I work really great with men. Mm -hmm. And some I do, some I don't. But most of them I do. And same with women. I think it's yeah. it's more of a personal thing. Okay. You know? Okay. Okay. All right. Excelente. Well, that that's all I have. Yay! It's uh, <laughs> great. That was fun. Yeah, this has been awesome. Um, I I definitely appreciate you coming on. Appreciate your perspective, and um, I wish you a lot of you know continued success. Um, you know, it, it's 
what you're doing with the show is really amazing. And, um, you know, I just hope that your other projects continue along that same vein of um, truthfulness, just coming coming from a real place. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I yeah. love your show and I'm going to keep watching it. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> keep listening to it. Thank you. Uh, I'm actually, I'm going to send you my uh, my short. I'm going to send it to you when, when we're done. To, I to would love that. Yeah. Love get it. Your, you know, your perspective as a, as a uh, producer. All right. Well, good people. We are out of here, as I always say. The truth will set you free if you let it.